Larry Crabb is a very famous name in Christian counseling circles, and in many ways, he's one of the forerunners of the Christian counseling movement. He is a highly respected author, a well-known speaker, and uh, literally has made an impact on biblical and Christian counseling that that uh, far exceeds probably what he would have ever dreamed or even thought about. To listen to Larry speak, you would have never believed that there was a time in his life when the last thing he wanted to do and the last thing that he thought he was capable of doing was speaking publicly. In the book Encouragement, The Key to Caring, which is, I guess, the book that's made the the biggest impact on my life, written by Larry Crabb. He describes the, the pain and the, and the torture it was for a, for a little boy with stuttering to speak publicly. At the age of nine, he had a terrible experience in a, in a public setting, and, and he vowed that he was never again going to speak publicly. And Yet as a young teenager, he was unexpectedly called on in church to to offer up a a prayer. It's one of the more memorable moments, he said, in his life, and this is what Larry Crabb wrote about it. Filled less with worship than with nervousness, I found my theology becoming confused to the point of heresy. I remember thanking the Father for hanging on the cross and praising Christ for triumphantly bringing the Spirit up from the grave. Stuttering throughout, I finally thought of the word, Amen, perhaps the first evidence of the Spirit's leading. And so I said it and sat down. I recall staring at the floor, too embarrassed to look around and solemnly vowing never again to pray or speak aloud in front of a group. When the service was over, I darted toward the door, not wishing to encounter an elder who might feel obliged to correct my twisted theology. But I was not quick enough. An older Christian man named Jim Dunbar intercepted me, put his arm on my shoulder, and cleared his throat to speak. I remember thinking to myself, here it comes, oh well, just endure it and then get to the car. I then listened to this godly gentleman speak words that I can repeat verbatim today more than 20 years later. Larry, he said, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you 1,000%. Then he walked away. Even as I write these words, my eyes fill with tears I have yet to tell that story to an audience without at least mildly 
choking. Those words were life to my soul. They had power. They reached deep into my being. Just a few weeks ago, we spoke to you on the topic of the power of words and how words have the power to give direction to our entire life. I suggested to you then that I could change your marriage for the better with one five-minute session talking with you about how you speak to your spouse. I told you I could revolutionize your parenting in just a matter of moments if I could talk with you about the way that you speak to your children. I want to rehearse a little bit of what, I, of what I said to you just a few weeks ago and then give you a, a few additional thoughts because I want to talk with you this morning about changing your life and changing the life of those that you love by the words that you speak, words that you speak one at a time. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 puts it this way, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. You know, a marriage doesn't die all in one fell swoop, but it dies a little bit at a time. It, di- it dies a little bit here and a little bit there. A relationship between a parent and child isn't fractured in one monumental moment, but, but is fractured and severed and sometimes almost damaged beyond, the, beyond being repaired or repairability. Just a little at a time, a word here and a word there. You've got to decide, do you want your relationships to flourish and grow and mature and develop, or or do you slowly want to kill them one word at a time? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 21, 23 puts it this way, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. You know, a lot of times just that, that one statement spoken with a little bit of derision or a little bit of condescension, just a, a, a little bit of, of unnecessary oomph, leads to a firestorm that's far beyond what we would have ever anticipated or expected. But the one who guards his mouth watches what he or she says, guards their soul from trouble. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 describes the fruit of the Spirit, and while he's not specifically addressing our words necessarily, think of these qualities saturated our speech like the soil that's been drenched by a torrential downpour. 
Paul put, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then just to underline it a little bit, he says, against such things there is no law. There's no legal requirement that keeps you from your words being loving. There's nothing that requires me from my words being filled with joy. There's nothing from me speaking words of peace and being kind and gentle and caring in the way that I speak to other people. It'll take self-control. It'll take self-discipline. But isn't that what love is all about? If I want to change my life and I want to change the life of those I care about, being, be it spouse, be it children or friend, I'm going to do it one word at a time. There are four things I want to point out to you this morning. A couple of these I mentioned before, but I repeat them because I'm not sure that we can repeat them often enough. And more people say to me after the message that I spoke a few weeks ago about words, I had more people than any other message I have preached at this church come up to me and say, I'm going to listen to that message again with my wife. I had more people send me emails and say, I'm going to listen to the, past, I'm going to listen to the message again, Pastor, and I'm going to take notes on it. I had people that told me, I want you to know that my wife and I sat down with our children and we had a long discussion that afternoon to find out how they feel about how we speak to them. And then the, one of them came back to me and said, you know, I, I really need to change the way that I speak to my kids because sometimes they're afraid of me. And it's not the right kind of fear. I want you to notice with me first that everyone struggles with the tongue. And therefore we better make it a priority in our spiritual growth. There's not a one of us that will be past the point in our spiritual lives in this life that we don't need to guard the tongue. James put it this way in James chapter 3, verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. <laughs> That's true. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well, and there's not a perfect one among us. There's not one among us that keeps his tongue under control all of the time. What we want to do is gradually, intentionally, progressively gain control over our tongue. But every one of us struggle with it. Some a lot more than others. And if you don't struggle with it, I feel bad for you. And I feel bad for those close to you. If you don't struggle with the way that you speak, I really pity the people closest to you because you will never please the Lord in that area of your life until you struggle with it 
to overcome it and to make it a priority. Uh, The second thing I want you to notice is our words determine the direction of our lives. Our words determine the direction of our lives. That is, your marriage is where you want it to be. Your relationships are where you want them to be. Because our words, to some degree, determine where we go in a relationship, where we go in our parenting, and what will become of our children and those to whom we're responsible. James put it this way in James chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, you remember from a few weeks ago. Now, if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So you put a person on the back of a large animal like a horse, and that person can control that horse. It can cause the horse to go forward. It can cause the horse to gallop. It can cause the horse to stop, to turn to the right or turn to the left. But as you stand the person by the horse, and the animal is a huge animal, and in comparison, the person is rather small and insignificant. But that small bit, that that small instrument determines the direction the horse goes. The same is true with the pilot, the captain that controls a ship. The captain controls the direction of the ship. If you're a husband, you're controlling the direction of your home. You're determining the course that your family's taking. The captain is at the helm. The captain directs the ship. The captain controls the rudder. And the ship goes where the rudder directs it. But the rudder is at the control of the captain. And so our words give direction to our homes, to our relationships. Number three, our words significantly impact those we love. Parenthetically, our words leave a deep impression on their soul. Therefore, encouragement is a powerful way to say, a powerful way to love and care for another person. Words, words are like, if you think of a soul like it's Plato for a moment. And my grandkids love Plato. My kids loved it growing up. You, you spread that stuff out and, and you can do so many things with it. But, but you can spread it out on a table and, and you, take, you take just a little instrument that you can, you can push into that. And you can make a heart or you can make an animal or you can make an impression of a, of a, of a piece of fruit. That's the way the soul is. And yet the soul is impressioned or impressed by words. Proverbs says the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. 
What a beautiful picture. Gracious words like a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and they strengthen a person's body. There's very few things that you can do more important than this, and that is to be an encourager and to speak words of encouragement to those God has providentially put around you. There's enough nagging, belly aching, clamoring out in the world. Jay Lynn and I, the other day, we were in, we were in, um, oh, furniture shop, I can't, home goods, that's where it was, home goods. So we're just walking around, there's, a, there's, there's several children really crying, and, and uh, so one was particularly loud, so I said, I'm, I'm going to walk up front and just make sure everything's, uh, everything's okay. And, and I heard a lady, an elderly lady, say, why doesn't somebody put something in those mouths and shut those kids up? I came that far to turning around and saying, I'd like to put something in your mouth right now, lady. How would you like it if you were three years old and being drugged around home goods? That's why people don't like old people, because of you. And then I thought, oh man, maybe she's a member of the church, and then I'd really be in trouble. You know? I, I had thought something similar to that on occasions in the past. People demonstrate who they are by what they say. Encouragement is a powerful, it's a powerful tool in the family's tool belt. We ought to say thank you more than stop that. We ought to say well done more than that's not good enough. We ought to cultivate a positive, reassuring attitude in our homes where encouragement can thrive and negativity appears less and less. I received a note from someone this week. Note said, you've been my pastor and wrote how many years they've been a member here and Here's three things I want you to know that caused me to believe that I'm a better person because you've been my pastor. Number one, I call my mom a lot more often. And I thought back, there were various times before my mom died, I shared in offhanded ways, you know, I call my mom almost every day. We don't talk for very long. But I just call, how's your day going? What's anything new going on today? You feeling okay? I'm on my way. And so I always call her on the way home from, on the way home from seminary or on a Wednesday night and I'd be driving home here from uh, church. There were certain times. It, it took really quite a while after my mom died for me really not to get my phone out as I'd be pulling out of the parking lot of the seminary and, and I'd get ready to call my mom and then I thought, well, you know, my... Mom's not here anymore. And it really just encouraged me that that this brother would say, you know, I call my mom a lot more often because you've been my pastor. Encouragement is is like a soothing balm on a sunburned soul. There's nobody out there building your kids up 
There's nobody out there saying you're the greatest. There's nobody out there saying you can do it. They're telling him, shut up, be quiet, put something in that baby's mouth. That's what they're doing. That's what they're saying. So who's going to come behind your spouse who's told you've reached middle management. That's as far as you're going to go. This is the end of the line for you. There's nobody saying to your spouse, there's a, there's a period at the end of your occupation because you're not going to succeed any further. You're not going to make it any further. If a person's spouse and friends and small group don't come around them and say, you can do it, you're good, I love and appreciate you, then who will do it if you don't do it? The fourth thing I want to say this morning is this. What can we do to change our speech and the direction of our lives and the lives of those we love? Let me mention three things. First, pray. Pray. Pray that you'll think before you speak. Pray that that you'll pray before you push send on that email. Pray that God would catch you and you, by the Spirit, would be caught from saying things that aren't necessary to be said. doesn't mean that you don't correct your children. It doesn't mean that you don't instruct your children. It doesn't mean that you don't speak to your spouse in areas where they need to be spoken to. I need my wife speaking into my life. It's not so much at times what we say, it's how we say it. The tenor and the tone, and it's how often we do it. If all we're doing is speaking correction into them, that's a problem with us more than it's a problem with them. Pray. Second, fight. What do you fight? You fight the tendency of criticism, being nitpicky fault finding. Paul put it this way, now those who have belonged to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, Galatians 5:24. Romans chapter 8 verse 13, Paul says putting to death the deeds of the body, those are war words. Those are fighting words, putting to death and crucifying. It's not a battle that's easy. In fact, it's a habit that we fall into rather quickly. And once it becomes a habit, it becomes ingrained in our soul. And it's like a rut on a road where the water has washed it away. And it takes a lot of rebuilding to get that road secure and stable again. So fight. Third, ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness. If you live with a person that doesn't ask forgiveness on a regular basis, pray for that person. Because there's no relationship where we are in close proximity with a person on a regular basis that we don't say things we shouldn't say or we say them in ways that we shouldn't say them. And if you don't ask forgiveness, your soul is getting clogged with sin. And if it's with your children, you just get down on one knee and you say, I I want you to look at daddy right in the eyes. 
Now, Daddy wants to tell you that what you did was wrong, but Daddy spoke to you too sternly, too harshly, and I want you to forgive Daddy. Will you forgive Daddy? Will you say, Daddy, I forgive you? You may have to say to your wife, not may, you will. (laughs) You will. Maybe by the time you get into the car, honey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I know, I know it hurts you, and, and I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me and, and, and let me sleep in the bed tonight and not on the couch, you know? Yeah. Just ask forgiveness. This morning we're going to have a time of commitment. It may be during this time of commitment right where you're standing. You just need to say to the Lord, I, I, need, I need a fresh start with my tongue. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray that you would... Cause me to think before I speak. I pray that you would empower me to do battle. And I pray that you would give me grace that I could ask forgiveness when I, when I do wrong. Maybe that you're looking for a church home or you'd like to talk to someone about salvation. If you would come forward, we'd love to talk with you. Wasn't it great to see, to see Aaron a few weeks ago, Chelsea baptized, to, to know that they were brought to our church by members of our church that were just inviting neighbors and co-workers and friends and and then God brought them and and both of them have been saved and baptized they're very active in a, in our church and and maybe you're like that maybe you maybe you're just on the front end of where the webs were quite some time ago several years ago and you just like to talk to someone if you come down we'll introduce you to someone that can talk with you privately and confidentially I'm going to ask if you'll Stand, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then we're going to sing together. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we pray that in these closing moments that your spirit would be at work in our hearts for your glory and we would respond to your gracious invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.